Hi, welcome to episode 75 of Talk About the Passion. Remember Tomorrow, named after the Iron Maiden song from their debut record. Hey, 75 episodes, that's a thing, right? I'm your host, Christian Campagna, and my guest today is Bob Mayo of the metal band Wargasm. This is the second time Bob has been on the show, and I was excited he asked to be back on. The first episode we did, episode 27, we talked mostly about the history of Wargasm. I suggest you listen to that one after this one, as the timeline will make a little more sense, which was sort of the idea for this episode. Where in the first episode, we talked mostly about the history of the band. In this one, we focused more on the music Bob listened to growing up. Some of the key people he was with when he discovered some of the music, early shows he saw. We, we pretty much start around 1978, stay there for quite a while, spend some time in 1980 with the uh, new wave of British heavy metal, and end right up around when thrash metal was new and fresh. Thankfully, the, the statute of limitations has run out as Bob again tells uh, the story where he admits he falsified information to get into the Kiss Army, you know, which in some circles would be considered a, a treasonous act. Uh, kidding aside, I'm, I'm really happy with how this episode came out, when I can dig deeper with a guest and get into what it was like experiencing new music and what it meant to them and still does, I feel I've done what I set out to do with this podcast. Bob has a lot of uh, similar views and tastes on music as I do, and this era of music we talk about is, is one of my favorite time periods in music history, so of course it was great to talk about this stuff with him, and uh, we'll definitely have Bob back on again. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and uh, give me a rating if you want. I'm on social media, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Talk About the Passion podcast. I keep those pretty up to date, and if you'd like to contact me about being on an episode, you can surely contact me there. All right, let's kick this off with episode 75 with Bob Mayo. Remember tomorrow, thank you for listening. All right, well, welcome back to the show, Bob Mayo. How are you this evening? I'm doing great, Chris. Thank you very much for having me back. Sure, sure. So you messaged me last week and said you had re-listened to the episode we did and you kind of wanted to get more into pre-Wargasm stuff because we kind of just did like a timeline of the band and touched on your time listening to music as a kid and that kind of stuff, so... Yeah, I think I kind of hijacked your podcast uh, when I was on it before. <laughs> well, that's I'm, um, I'm fine with that. People can talk about whatever they, you know, whatever we want to talk about. So, and I'm glad you you wanted to come back. So, yeah, I just want to um, fill in the blanks. Uh, I've I've listened to almost all of yours so far, and oh, nice. there's a, a lot of cool personal history stuff on there that that I think I wasted the opportunity. Right. Um, so, so thanks again for having me. Yeah, back. yeah. So let's start. So, 1978, Bob Mayo's bedroom. What, what, what does that look like? He's starting to put <laughs> heavy metal posters well, up on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably, geez, 78. I would have had. I had a Michael Schenker poster up there. I had a Richie Blackmore poster. Yeah. Um, Robert Plant, I think, was up there. Lots of Kiss, you know those big giant size Kiss posters they had. Oh yeah, they were like five five, five feet tall. I had yeah, yeah, both yeah. of those. Nice. There was like the the seventy five one, and there was like the seventy eight. Yep. 
with the, their different costumes and different eras yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, it was wall to wall pretty much. Yeah, because by that time I was, I was just in full rock mode for sure. Right. Because I was, I was raised by alcoholics basically from, from age seven or eight. My younger years were pretty much hell. Right. <laughs> And and actually, in my 40s, I was diagnosed with PTSD based on a lot of stuff that happened back then in, oh, wow. in that in my youth. Right. And music back then was really a way out. It was an escape. Yeah. I just kind of I disappeared into the radio every chance I got. I I literally laid in bed and just listened to the radio. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so by by the mid to late 70s, I was just that was me that was just who i was and, yeah and uh my way out yeah for sure were you, were you doing comic and, books and, and movies and stuff like that were you into a lot of that stuff comic books definitely comic books i i um the first maybe i guess they call it the bronze age now the bronze age of marvel was the 70s yeah um and i grew up reading that stuff like i i could still tell you i could look at a picture online and tell you who drew the picture. I know the art. I yeah. know the, the storylines. I know all the characters. I know all this. That was basically the Bible yeah. for me before, before the music bug oh, okay. hit. My, my family used to have a cottage up in Maine. Mm -hmm. Um, and we used to drive up there a couple of times every summer and we would stop at the drugstore before that trip. And I would just grab a handful of comics and just read them yeah. up and read them back. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, uh, and that's why Kiss was such a huge thing for me. Yeah, because it was kind of like the combination of comic books and music. Right. Yep. And those are the two, the two big things in my life. The two big escapes yeah. for me were both of those. Yeah. And uh, that was just I, I I had no choice. It was just irresistible to me just yeah. to kind of get locked into Kiss world. Yeah, especially uh, those. But those. but it was for a lot of people that. That are our age or my age, I'm probably older than you. Yeah, I'm but fifty-one. Uh, You're fifty. I'm fifty-six. Okay. Yeah. So okay. Five years. So our age, I guess. Yeah. Um, a lot of people from our generation, uh, I found this so many times um, in social media and just with with friends I've met through all my life too. Um, Kiss was the gateway. Oh yeah. They yeah. were they were everyone's introduction into yeah. Yeah. rock and. Uh, I think it. I think it was a good gateway because yeah, what it what it led to was was really great stuff. Yeah. They, they were on the radio all the time back then. The top forty radio was crazy back then. I know, then. right? It was yeah, like this mixture of of almost every kind of genre yeah. that there was back then could make it into the top forty with, with the right song. So just listening to the top 40 was a great education yeah and and kiss kiss were there yeah uh, along yeah. with Aerosmith and a bunch of others so yeah, yeah it was a that was a great introduction and I, i'm not embarrassed at all about being a, a huge kiss fan back then i still yeah. think the songs yeah hold up and, and yeah. i think uh they were they were a great rock band yeah make up or no yeah how far into their uh discography do you do you go i pretty much Cut ties after Love Gun. Yeah, yeah. Same I'm I'm pretty hardcore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, after that, I think I I think Dynasty was the last album that all four of the guys actually, actually played, played on. on yeah. 
after that, it's just kind of a a blur of like a studio project. So yeah. who really cares? Right. It wasn't really Kiss, but yeah. I, I much prefer you know the the four guys who had a dream and worked yeah, yeah. real hard on it and made yeah. it happen. And that that story is so much more interesting than the the four millionaires who can't <laughs> even keep it together. Yeah, you know that's that's no fun. Yeah. Now, did you find because I, I remember you know years later you know with Kiss. <clears throat> The lyrics, because as a kid, I, I was the same. I was into comic books and creature double feature, you know, and that kind of stuff, and sci-fi movies. Mm-hmm. And Kiss kind of tapped into that, but more the imagery. The lyrics were all, like, about chicks. Though, so I feel like, not, and this is moving ahead a little bit, not until, like, Iron Maiden and bands like that when, it, you know, it kind of connected, like, with songs like, you know, Phantom of the Opera and stuff like that, where the lyric themes were actually starting to be... I could re- not relate to more, but I was they're just more interesting to me because that young I was. The girls was the last thing I was thinking about once they discovered rock, you know. Yeah, I guess if you look back at, at Kiss, to at least like the first three or four albums, studio yeah. albums, it's kind of a dichotomy there with the the imagery didn't really match the lyrics. But yeah. you know, when they did uh, when they did Destroyer, they definitely focused on the songs matching the. Yeah, the definitely. imagery. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that then they they really melded the two together, and and that's kind of why that album stands on its own. I think it's yeah. as Bob Bob Ezrin really set out to to match the the imagery there with the with the album, and it, and he did a great job, and it works really well that way. But yeah. actually, uh, I just prefer the big dumb stupid Kiss songs. Than, yeah, yeah. Than the yeah, the here. elaborate production stuff. Although yeah. Destroy is a great record, but it's an anomaly. Yeah, it's not really Kiss. I like the riffs, Parasite and She, stuff like that. Are my right. jams. Um, so you so you got to see them in February of 1978 at uh, Providence. Yeah, right, right before the blizzard. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like right. two weeks, two weeks before the blizzard. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. It was. I was 14 years old. It was my first concert ever. The Rockets opened up, and the Rockets, they were on the radio at the time with their cover of Oh Well, which was just pretty solid. Right. Um, and they were pretty cool live, but, I mean, just being in the same room, quote-unquote, with Kiss was just a complete mind-blower. It was awesome. Yeah. I, ha- I have a bootleg cassette of, the, of that exact show. Oh, really? Um, Somebody I met while I was on the road with Wargasm in, in Belgium, I think. We were just talking one night about the same kind of stuff, and I told him what my first concert was, and he goes, oh, my God, I have that on tape. I'll send it to you. <laughs> and I, I didn't really take it too seriously. Yeah. But a couple of weeks later, I got it in the mail, and, and I still have it. It, it sounds awful, but right. it's it's still... it's. It, it, I was there, and, and it's cool to listen to. You can tell barely what songs are playing right but, right um the set list is all written on the outside of the cassette case so i can i can kind of keep up that way and it, it it's really cool to have yeah now you were buying uh music at a record store called the music machine and the was at the village mall in canton right right now was that a that wasn't a, a chain right that was its its own shop yeah, it was a little hole in the wall yeah. kind of place. I also took I took probably six months of guitar lessons there too. They gave lessons. Oh, all right. Also, yeah. And uh, I I bought all of my music there, and 
the teachers that worked there, you know, the teachers that were there were also the guys that worked behind the counter selling the records. And I remember so many times these guys would try to talk me out of buying what I was buying. Oh, yeah. And and try to steer me towards, like, jazzier stuff. Oh, yeah. Like sticks or something? they, They, well, no, like, like. Larry Carlton oh, and Al okay, Demiola. Yeah. Oh, because they're guitar teachers yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're like, if you really want to learn how to play, man, you should stop listening to this garbage and <laughs> right, start right. listening to Carlos Santana and and uh, Les Dudek right. and all, you know. And to me, I mean, I, looking back, it's kind of hilarious because I was buying Schenker and Uli Roth <laughs> and Frank Marino and yeah, Robin nice. Trower. I mean, those guys are. Monsters. Come yeah. on. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. And I remember once during a lesson, one of the teachers asked me, you know, what am, what are you listening to right now? Who's the hot guitarist in your world? And, I, and Eddie Van Halen was, that, that album was just a couple of months old. Yeah. And he actually went out into the store and he opened a copy of it and he put on, I told him to play Eruption. Yeah. And he put it on and he came back into the little booth where we where we uh, where he taught me, and he said, "That's a synthesizer. You you really need to get your shit together. <laughs> That's not a guitar. That's a synthesizer." Uh, so, I mean, I had seen Van Halen do it right. on stage during the show that I referenced before with yeah. Black Sabbath, and and so this guy is going to teach me how to play guitar when he doesn't even recognize <laughs> that, that's a guitar. A, right. So, I quit. Um, I mean, that elitist attitude, even yeah. at age 14, 15, I was just like, these guys look down on me. Yeah. So what am I doing here? Yeah. Why am I here? So right. I, I quit. And, and I'm pretty much self-taught after that. Yeah. First six months or so, I'm, I'm pretty self-taught. Yeah. I, I can't read or write music, but I don't think I ever suffered for it. Yeah, yeah. You talked about going to Rocket Records then coming home with like your friends to play records or, or, or bringing the... Uh... The, for the kiss rock and roll over to your friend's house and listening to that. And that, that was sort of a, a rite of passage back then, like listening to records with friends, which I don't think is a thing that kids do today, you know? And that yeah, was, uh, probably not. So do, do you remember doing that with, with like having like a bunch of records just scattered on the floor? And, oh yeah. That, yeah. that story that I told you before about, you know, my friend who invited me to his house and he kind of offhandedly asked me if I had the new Kiss album and I lied and said, <laughs> yeah. of course I do. Yeah. So I, I bought the record and had it over to his house and, yeah. you know, pretend that I brought it from home. But his brother had a huge music collection. Yeah. And one of those big, long console turntables that uh, yeah. was like, you know, seven feet long. Right. Um, and that was the first place that I ever heard Black Sabbath. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're anything like me, you remember the first time you ever heard Black Sabbath. And from growing up listening to Top 40 radio for years and years, which definitely had its its hard rock and stuff, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, to be hearing Master of Reality was just like, I could barely stand up. It was like, what, what is this? (laughs) So that was the first record you heard by then? It was Master of Reality, yeah, by them, and yeah. and and he also had he had Machine Head, he had Zeppelin Four, he had Rocks mm-hmm. by Aerosmith, he had Destroyer, he had what else? Cat Scratch Fever, Fog Out Live, but the Sabbath stuff was 
really blew my mind because, yeah. like I said, growing up listening to the radio, you're listening to music that it's it's commercially minded. It's it's constructed for airplay, yeah. basically back then. Yeah, and and Black Sabbath, um, Master Reality. There's no commercial considerations, <laughs> and that's just that's just sick yeah, and yeah. twisted, and and it's just its own thing, and and that was like a huge eye opener for me. It really resonated me, with me. Plus, coming from the background that I was coming from, it really kind of sounded like I felt. Yeah, yeah. Which which, which was huge for me too. I just kind of latched onto that. And it's funny because I became friends with this kid over Kiss. Yeah. But uh, but that that one visit to his house just really opened my mind that you know I I thought Kiss was the only band worth listening to. Right. And of course, each musician was the best at their respective instrument on yeah. the planet. But when I left that day, I was like, wait a second, <laughs> there's a lot more. Yeah going on outside of kiss than than i had originally yeah suspected yeah. it was just a huge mind expanding experience yeah and i just i wanted to do nothing but listen to that that master reality like for a week straight. Yeah. i would have been happy yeah and in and, and black sabbath i mean they're you know obviously one of the biggest rock metal bands of all time um but back then they were kind of an outsider band, you know, even though they were, you know, they were on a major label, but they they were kind of like you said, for outsiders, and, and it was more of like a thinking kids sort of, sort of band. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, it was like something special. Yeah, that you were in. It on. wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like the lowest common denominator kind yeah. of thing that oh, every everybody kind of likes this. Right, right. It wasn't like that. You can, you don't kind of like Sabbath yeah. either love it or yeah. you just don't get it at all yeah so yeah it was like being in an, an exclusive club and and wow yeah uh, i i i just want to hear that record right now i know after right? just talking about it i was just thinking that after this i'll probably i'll probably throw that on <laughs> um and, and then so the other my the other thing that happened there was at his house he also had the first Black Sabbath album. And that's what I was just going to ask you. So hearing that, I, th I think you even mentioned that on the on the other episode was hearing the, yeah. the song Black Sabbath for the first time is kind of uh, that's an event for everybody. <clears throat> yeah, it, it, it it's almost like why bother writing music after that? It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's all it's it's all done. Yeah, right there, it's all done. Yeah. And so you obviously then just moved through their catalog after that, and, and was that? Yeah, I was buying. I, it was fun, like discovering all the new stuff. You could basically you could read Cream magazine, and all the bands that they made fun of right. were the bands that you should go check out. <laughs> yeah, because they they were so cutting edge and so like pre punk rock. They were so into like proto-punk and what became punk right that they they in their in ufo and scorpions and judas priest and all that in their heyday they just considered a joke yeah but but you know that was the stuff that completely resonated with me yeah and they they had a love-hate thing with sabbath too at cream but yeah 
some of some of the writers loved them and some of the writers hated them. But, yeah, yeah. Um, they were that was the go-to magazine for me because if you if you understood really how to read between the lines with that magazine, you you that's where you went to find out the good what stuff. was cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and that's the road I went down with basically like mid to late seventies what we would now call hard rock, I yeah. guess, but back then it was heavy metal. Right. And I didn't even really have my own turntable then. I used to always have to borrow my sister's. I'd, I'd have to wait until she wasn't home <laughs> Yeah. and go into her room and sit on her bed and listen to records, and it <laughs> yeah. was not, not the ideal situation. Right. So you just have the one sister? Yeah, older yeah. sister. Yeah, and she was also, she was into music. She was, yeah. yeah. She was. Um, she the first records I ever touched were The uh, Zeppelin Two. She had Dark Side of the Moon. She had a Free album. Hmm. I think it was just called Free. Yeah. But yeah, she was. She was a seventies hippie for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, Kiss is the. F- is that the first show you see? The first concert. Yes. And that's uh, February 2nd, 1978. We we're just talking about about that. Um what's it like leading up to that? Like you you get the tickets at one point. How do you, how do you get tickets back then? Well, back then uh, at Westgate Mall in Brockton. Yeah. There was a there was a place called Obie's Tickets. Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't like a storefront or or a kiosk. It was just a door. Right. And you had to know which door, you know, it could have been a, a janitor's closet or a service entrance or something. Right. You had to know which door to, to stand in front of and wait for Obi. Yeah. And he would walk up and down the mall with tickets sticking out of his pocket, like blocks of tickets. Right. And he would just say, cheap trick, cheap trick, Orpheum Theater. And he'd just walk up and down the, the mall and huh. just re- recite the names and the dates of the bands and the right. venues and stuff. And people would just buy tickets from him. And that's where we got the tickets for the Kiss show. Huh. Uh, he, he was a scalper, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, and we bought five tickets. Yeah. And when you when you buy five consecutive seats, you, you don't really get too close. Right. Right. Um, usually you're way back up in the in the boondocks, but right. uh, again, it didn't even matter. I I could see them, and, and it was cool. And then I was 14, so I couldn't drive. None of us guys that went to the show were old enough to drive, so right. my mom had to drive us down there. <laughs> yeah. And and for my mom to drive to Rhode Island, which, I, you know, I can still hear her now say, it's another, <laughs> it's in another state. <laughs> it's like 40 which minutes, it's, probably. It's literally, yeah, it's about 40 minutes yeah. south of here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, it was just, super cool like i was so excited it was ridiculous we bought the tour book i didn't have enough money to buy a t-shirt but we bought the tour books yeah and now so so i was i was telling you before we before we started recording that i kind of put together like a little timeline of of stuff happening and it's it's kind of interesting that show was on the second and then the first uh the debut van halen album comes out february 10th a week later and you had talked about on WAF they used to play uh, records, and sometimes before they would come out, and you accidentally recorded uh, that first Van Halen album. 
Yeah, on eight track. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I know. I I tell this story sometimes, and people don't believe that there were blank eight track tapes, but there were. Yeah. <clears throat> now. Yeah, that that show on AAF was called the Friday Night Six Pack, okay. and they used to over, overnight Friday night they would play six albums that were coming out the following Tuesday. Huh. And that was one of the records they played was the Van Halen album. Right. I had never heard of them, never heard anything of them, never heard the name, um, but woke up the next day and saw that that the A-track that was in the deck had recorded overnight. Yeah. And I just hit play and listened, and I heard, I think it was Sticks. I'd have to I'd have to research which Sticks album this was, but I think yeah. one of them was a Sticks album. Yeah, probably Pieces of Eight, seventy eight. That's what I, I. That would be my guess. Yeah. And right after that, it was the car horn at the beginning, yeah, of yeah. running with the devil, and I was like, "Whoa, what is this?" Yeah. And then I was, I was another mind blower. That album. Yeah, it's dark for and sure. Cre- it's this, this, something about the sound of that record is real kind of dark and. Uh... I don't know. This, this is just something mysterious and, and cool about it. And he, hearing that the first time, you must have uh, you must have had your mind blown. Yeah, I definitely did because I was you know a couple of months maybe into guitar lessons. Yeah, and I the year before was just nothing but Ace Freely, Ace Freely, Ace Freely, and Ace Freely's a genius at. at in in his limited world, yeah, he's, yeah. he in did cases, he yeah. he yeah he was he was very limited, but he did a lot with it. Yeah. And and the solos are all memorable, and they all fit the music, and that that's genius. But to go from that to listening to Eddie Van Halen was just like what what <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you're an aspiring guitarist, and you're kind of able to sort of mimic what ace is doing and then you sit down and you try to <laughs> anything that is on that van halen album is yeah. just completely out of this world yeah so. yeah definitely and uh, van halen uh famously tours with sabbath later that year in september um and apparently blows them off the the stage but so but going back a little, so we you were obviously long for the Sabbath ride at that point. What did you think of the the, the later records like Sabotage and Sabbath Bloody Sabbath and and then the last two? Sabotage is actually my favorite. Is it? Yeah, that, yeah. I love. I, I think it's it sums up pretty much all the records before it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's just it's perfect. Yeah, it's flawless. Yeah. After that, I think that they kind of got it. The next one, Technical Ecstasy, was kind of an experiment, I guess. Yeah. And and let's let's do something different. Yeah. And, and it, it maybe failed. Maybe it's a failure. I right. I think it's a failure. Yeah. I love I love it. Yeah. I, I listen to it a lot, but yeah. it's not up to par with the previous six. And Never Say Die was kind of a mess because. They started writing and recording with a different singer, and then yeah. they got Ozzy back in the band. And right. so, it, it you can tell it's kind of a thrown together kind of quickly, Definitely. and yeah. not that great. Yeah. But even those two are are better than 
a lot of the junk that came out afterwards with the Sabbath name on it. It's yeah, probably yeah. an unpopular opinion, but yeah, yeah I, I never got past the uh, Dio or the Gillen stuff after the, well the Gil, the Gillen album and the three Dio albums I love, but well the four I guess if you count the Heaven and Hell studio one, but. I, I I never could get into the ones, and I I, I always thought he should have just called them Tony Iommi albums, you know. Right, I think a lot of people would accept Born Again a lot more openly if they had changed the name of the band. Yeah, yeah, maybe to even Born Again that might have been a good name for. for yeah, them, you know, with those those guys. Um, so but I when I saw them at the when I saw Van Halen and Sabbath at the Cape Cod Coliseum, the Sabbath were. So Ozzy had already quit, and they called him back to do the 10th anniversary tour, and yeah. they finished Never Say Die. And the tour itself, I was there to see Van Halen. Yeah, That's the only reason I bought those tickets was yeah. to see Van Halen, because I was kind of let down by the two yeah. Sabbath albums. Yeah. But I, obviously I stayed for Sabbath, and right, right. it was kind of a, it was a disappointment. It, yeah. it, I mean, they're both obviously heavy bands. Yeah. But it really wasn't a great matchup because they were just. It seemed like they were playing at like zero miles an hour. Yeah, yeah, they were just kind of going. Van Halen at that just. Point. Yeah, Van Halen just had like twenty minutes yeah. and just completely kicked ass. They yeah. had like three lights and five amps and just destroyed. Yeah. And it's... Sabbath came out and it was it was pretty sleepy. Yeah, it's this is actually a, a quote. Uh, I found from Ozzy, uh, from Circus Magazine. Uh, it says, the cr- at all of our shows on this tour, the crowds are going fucking wild. In Cape Cod the other night, September 4th, they were going fucking insane. Man, it was scary up there. We didn't expect this response. Van Halen, he said, are so good, they ought to be headlining this tour. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. It's yeah, funny, I too. Mean... You said that, and I was just thinking back to... I went to see Ozzy on, I don't even remember what tour it was, but it was Metallica was touring Master of Puppets at the time, and they were opening, and we sort of did the same thing. We were going to see them, and Ozzy came out looking like Liberace, and we like we stayed for two songs and and left, but, you know, it was a similar thing, you know, with Ozzy. Yeah, I mean, it was a... Um brilliant move to get Van Halen on that tour because yeah. not just because they were going to be exposed to a bigger audience, but because I think anybody objectively would look at that and see what was going to happen. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. Sabbath were pretty much done yeah. and, and Van Halen were like the new kids that were just about to rip everything up and take over the world. Yeah. And you're also getting into a uh, cheap trick at the, around this time too. We went to them. Yeah. 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 Like among the first maybe 10 or 12 records I yeah. ever bought, Budokan and In Color and Heaven Tonight are, are in that pile for sure. Yeah. 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 I okay. love, love them. I saw them in 78 too. I saw them at the music hall. Oh, nice. And at the Orpheum as well, I saw them. And I, a band called UFO opened up. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. It wasn't Schenker, it was Paul Chapman, but still, oh, okay. they, yeah. they completely rocked. They yeah. were great. Huh. Was that your first time? That was, well, that was you seeing UFO for the first time? That was the first time seeing Cheap Trick and UFO, yeah. Oh, wow, nice. 
and cheap trick. I, I was reading through your blog, and I think you had mentioned buying the Budokan as a, a like a Japanese import. It came out like a year before the U.S. version. Yeah, I, back in um, at the Music Machine, yeah. they they had the they had import albums like across the top of the back counter yeah. where you couldn't touch them right. because they they Expensive. cost like twenty five thirty bucks. Right. And that that was Japanese only for a long time, yeah. and uh, I bought it there because and, and my lessons cost five bucks a week. Yeah, this record cost twenty five bucks, so <laughs> yeah. it took me a little while to get the money to to buy it, but yeah. I grabbed it. And then, of course, you know, within six months, it was out for five seventy seven. Yeah, but um, but still, I had to have it. I just I wasn't shrewd enough to wait or patient enough to <laughs> yeah, wait yeah and that had but yeah uh, new songs on it too or songs that weren't on studio records so that, that, i always thought that was weird when i when i heard that you know when i first saw that that i think need your love for that ended up being on dream police i think yeah yeah ain't that a shame and look out oh yeah look yeah. out is on there too yeah. um and that's that's like an outtake from their first album yeah yeah, that wasn't a thing Mans did back then. So I, I remember thinking, like, are they allowed to have a song that's not on a record, on a live record? That's weird. <laughs> yeah, because most, most live records back then were, like, greatest hits albums. Yeah, much. yeah. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of that album, to be honest with you, because I don't think the sound is that great on it. I think the guitar playing's not that great on it. Yeah, I think. yeah the doctoring they, they, they did is pretty obvious on yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, look, you know, now that, now that I'm older and wiser, it, it doesn't really hold up in my opinion, but there's no way I could not buy it back then. There's right. No way. Yeah. Um, oh. and, and it broke them in America too. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. It was an important record for them. Right. Now, did you have like a, a circle of friends that were, you listen to all this stuff with and go to shows with? Or were you kind of your own, doing your own thing a lot? Um, I had I had some friends um, in high school when I when I started to kind of identify myself as a musician in high school. Yeah, that kind of opens the door to a whole different class of people. There, class right. is probably not the right word, but a whole different clan, a whole different tribe. Yeah, um, and you're kind of automatically accepted. Yeah. So you you didn't really have to look a certain way or talk a certain way. You were just automatically, oh, he's cool. He plays too. Yeah. And it was probably like this in every high school, everywhere, where this band forms and then that band forms and then these two people trade members and then another band yeah. forms. And oh yeah. Yeah. It just everybody ends up playing with everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And and I was I was part of that too. And. Yeah. I ended up playing with a couple of different groups of people and uh, yeah, those are the people that would, if a show was coming, everybody would be talking about it in the yeah. school beforehand. Did you get tickets? Where are you sitting? Right. And then, you know, the next day after the show, you'd wear the t-shirt that you bought that night and, right. oh, I couldn't go. How was the show? <laughs> yeah. And, and in high school, I also met Rich and Barry there uh, in Stoughton High too. Okay. We all went to the same high school at the same time, so. You're the same age? They were part of that, too. Yeah. Uh, no, um, Rich is a couple years younger than me, and Barry's yeah. a couple years younger than him. Okay. 
and and some of the some of the other musicians um there must have been people that were maybe starting to get into like punk and, and stuff like that or go in the other direction like rush and stuff like that so probably not just hard rock musicians i imagine you're talking about i don't know i can't recall anybody that i hung with that was into punk yeah i guess that early not, I not, yeah i i know that, that um clash the clash was really big like maybe in my senior year there was a there was a bunch of people that really liked the clash yeah um but not like the Ramones or the Sex Pistols or any of the the really important punk bands. Right. Not just the Clash. It's the only one I really remember ever hearing about while I was in high school. Yeah. And I graduated in 82, so um, there really wasn't much left of, of actual punk by 82. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was sort of a, a, a crossroads for that. I'm I'm sure it happened uh, yeah. in my high school, but I, that wasn't my tribe, I guess. I yeah. missed it. Yeah. And as far as playing music, playing parties and that kind of thing? The one the one main thing that I did when I was in high school was there was a, a battle of the bands kind of thing. It was actually called the gong show, but there was no gong. Yeah. Um, and it was um, it was like a talent show. It wasn't just rock bands. Yeah. And anybody could go up and do, you know, whatever they felt might win them a prize. So yeah. there was this the group of people, like I said, it was very incestuous. It was everybody was trading members and sliding around and playing with everybody else. And this one core group of people, they had three different configurations of the same band right. entered into the gong show. And none of the <laughs> teachers and none of the people knew. Right. Because it was it was just these three guys that were just wanted to win, right? So they had this configuration of their band with a different guitarist and a different singer, right? And a, and this name, and another configuration with a different bass player and a different drummer and a different name, <laughs> right? And I was in one of those configurations. I was in one. It was called Pegasus. Okay, isn't that cool? That is a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. That's and definitely we played of the era, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it def definitely was. It was like 1979, 1980, maybe. Yeah, 79, I think. Um, but we played "Draw the Line" by Aerosmith. Oh, nice! And we came in second place. Huh? And none of the three configurations of this guy's band—that was the highest we placed. Was yeah, our second place. Right. But that was pretty much it for like. Anything more than just jamming with people. Right. I did go to try out, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Mike Viola. Yeah. Candy Butcher. Yeah. yeah. So he went He went to Stoughton High along with all of us. Okay. And he was in a band called Invasion. Yeah. And they were the high school band. They were like, they would put on shows in the high school auditorium just as Mike Viola and right. the Invasion, huh. and they were they were cool. They, yeah. they all all of them were very accomplished musicians. They had their own original songs. Huh. I remember they played a they played um, Swords and Tequila and Outlaw from Riot oh, Riot nice. album Fire Down Under. Yeah, that's really what they sounded like too. They were they were really a decent band. And yeah. 
the whole school was behind him and, and everybody was into it. Yeah. And they they were auditioning for guitarists at one point mm-hmm. at, at some loft down in Stoughton Center, like literally a mile from where I'm talking to you right yeah. now. And I was invited to audition. So I walked down there and brought my guitar, sat there, and another kid who went before me played this song with him, played that song with him. Right. I played another song with him and played another song with him. And I was literally there for over an hour. Yeah. Waiting to see, you know, am I going to get a shot? And right. after about an hour and a half, I left. I don't, I don't think anybody wanted to turn around and tell me, Hey man, we're going to come with this guy. Right. Sorry for wasting your time. They pretty much just kind of, ignored me and they were in their own little world yeah i kind of got the clue and i just packed up my shit and i left yeah yeah but that that was my brush with fame i guess huh. in stoughton um so now let's we get into the 80s 1980 um and you discover rocket records is that around 1980 or is that a little later no right around 1980 yeah for sure yeah because yeah. i know heaven and hell was the huge album that was yeah. out when when we started to go to rock and I remember listening to that yeah. a lot on the, the that road trip. Yeah, that's a that's a question. I've so I, I've a friend of mine and I are thinking of doing a, uh, some episodes of this where we talk about when bands either you know change a, a key member or change their sound, like you know like a key change in their sound or something like that. But one of the things we wanted to do was talk to people that were actually fans of the band when that happened. So when Black Sabbath got Ronnie Dio, how, how, how did you feel about that when you first heard that, that he was going to be the singer? I thought I had Rainbow's live album and I had Rising and Long Live Rock and Roll and Ronnie Dio is obviously awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as as far as an idea goes, I was all for it. Yeah. And then when you hear Heaven and Hell for the first time, yeah. especially hearing it after Never Say Die, <laughs> yeah, it's like you're you're okay. I'm on I'm on board. I'm yeah. In. I'm in. immediately. Is, yeah. it, it totally worked. And the next album was I I prefer Mob Rules to Heaven and Hell. Yeah. yeah. I think both of those albums are great. Yeah. So that was genius. Yeah. That was totally genius. Yeah. How did you definitely think of worked? Him singing the Aussie songs. Uh. <laughs> it's it's kind of it's interesting like, some of them. Yeah, it's interesting. His his whole approach to singing in general is completely different. Never mind his vocal ability. Yeah, yeah. But I prefer to hear Ozzy sing the Ozzy songs and Dio yeah. sing the Dio songs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, his ver- But what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. Um I just picked up those the two uh reissues that they they put out of those two records. So. They did. A, they look like they did a pretty good job in those, and I, uh, and I wanted a, a uh, the Mob Rules version of uh, the heavy metal version of uh, Mob Rules that they have on there. From the, from yeah, the well, you have to have both. Yeah, you got to have both. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, so 1980 happens, and you you you're in you go up to Rocket Records, and now you're discovering the new wave of British heavy metal and stuff like that. Yeah, that was awesome. That was right around the time when I started to play with Rich and Barry. Yeah. And they were part of a clan that would 
climb in the truck and drive up to Saugus. Yeah. And God, we were buying singles, the singles that they had there and those bins. I just, I can't even believe looking back. Yeah. I can't believe they had what they had there. How did they get that right. stuff? I, I still have like the first three Raven seven inches. I no, still wow. have all the, all the tank seven inches. I still have Yeah. tigers of Pantang, um, Angel Witch, 45s, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. And it, there's, you couldn't leave that place with an extra nickel in your <laughs> I pocket. Know, right? yeah. I mean, yeah. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And, and that at that time, the, with the new wave of British heavy metal, everything was good because yeah. it, was a, it was such a fresh sound yeah. and yeah. vibe that yeah. regardless, you could just take such a chance on... Oh, um, you know this this band's name sounds cool, so you know what I'm going to buy it. Yeah, yes, yeah, and it was cool. That was Saxon. Was, yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and it was good. So yeah, yeah, you know, so you could just couldn't go wrong. Yeah, for there was a nice like a golden year there where everything was just incredible. Yeah, it was yeah. so exciting. Yeah, but that just like any other musical movement, it. it it starts out really fresh and exciting, and then they start getting a little bit more like, well, we're going to make a living at this. We have to be on the radio, or yeah. we have to break America, or we right. have to get on MTV. Yeah. And it was really disappointing how fast that kind of fizzled out. Yeah, yeah. And you, you had mentioned Saxon, and uh, even Motorhead was was played on WBCN around that time, which was pretty mind-blowing to think that the, that was played on those in that station, you know. Yeah, they took huge chances on that station. What, yeah. what a treasure that that station was! Yeah, right in the in the middle of the day, um, the chase is better than the catch. Yeah, and in the middle of the day, Motorcycle Man by Saxon, and wow. they used to play only "You Can Rock Me" by UFO. Oh wow! Um, she she keeps no secrets by Angel City. Yeah, they they played some really cool stuff and took took real chances there. Yeah. They probably only played it once, you know, but yeah. they at least took took a shot. Yeah. And so this, a lot of this, you know, stuff is, is influenced by sort of, some of it by punk music and some of it just by, it's a little more not personal, but were you able to connect to, to this stuff a little more? It was a little more angry too. Well, this is when, when I was first playing in a band situation. So, you know, we could go back and we could play Smoke on the Water or yeah. we could play Train Train Kept Rolling. Right. We could play all that seventies stuff, but but this stuff like Phantom of the Opera and yeah. Killers and, and Angel Witch and, and Raven even I mean Raven was nuts. Yeah. And trying to play that stuff it was really physical stuff and it was you really had to dig in and, and work. Yeah. And that was really exciting. Yeah. So just purely musicianship-wise, it was much more fun to play than than playing the bass line of Smoke on the Water. Right, no offense right. to Roger Glover, but, right. you know, it was a different world. As, as a musician, yeah. it was a real challenge, and, and if you could master that stuff, it was really rewarding that yeah. way. Yeah. The same thing with Thrash, which was right around the corner. When, when you could play... A, a passable cover of the Four Horsemen. You were like, "Wow!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know that was really something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you were you were talking about a friend worked at a record store 
and would give you these catalogs from Gem Distribution. Well, I remember that's when I worked at Rocket Records years later. We uh, we would get those, and that's the, that's where we would order a lot of stuff from. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff wasn't released domestically. Yeah. So so it was already out over there. Right. And I remember um, No Sleep Till Hammersmith. I remember seeing the solicitation from Gem yeah. on No Sleep Till Hammersmith, and you know, just knowing that there was a live Motorhead record out somewhere on Earth, <laughs> yeah. but not not in America. Right, you right. can't buy it in America. Yeah, it was just like it, it, the collector in me was just like ballistic. Like I have to have this. I yeah. have to get it. And they were really good at getting that stuff. And um, I ended up working there actually. Yeah, after they hired me because they they had a the special order department behind the, their front counter they had a, a shelf that was special orders and like half of that shelf was my stuff right yeah and they all knew my name and they all saw me a couple times a week and yeah right when i graduated high school i got a job there yeah and and coincidentally i ended up uh i worked in the store for about a year and a half, and I got a, a job offer to work down at the corporate headquarters as a buyer. Oh, wow. So, so I ended up buying the imports and indies for the chain. Oh, wow. And I, I was I was buying directly from Gem. Yeah. So you had firsthand. So then, oh, yeah, I then I had a, the best possible access point. Yeah, you were like the, the, the dealer around town. You'd have all this this stuff early. That's cool. And so you you were a collector early on. Were you, were you like that? Yeah. If if um, you know if if ACDC's uh, Dirty Deeds album and never came out in the states until way later. Yeah. I I'd order the import of from the UK, the UK and Europe edition. Yeah. And then I'd find out that the Australian edition had two different songs. Right, on it. right. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd have to have that. It would be, yeah. You know, I would just it would it was imperative that I had that. Of course. <laughs> so yeah, and and it was very expensive for a teenager, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were so as a teenager, were you working? What kind of job were you working that you could buy stuff like this? Um, before I worked at Good Vibes, yeah. um, it was uh, pumping gas yeah, here, yeah, stuff like you that. know, delivering newspapers there. It yeah. was just junk, yeah. junk summer jobs and painting a house there and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But when I was when I graduated and they hired me in at Good Vibes, that was that was kind of a career move because I was a buyer. Yeah. yeah. And I, I worked at the. I had an office and a desk and all yeah. that fun stuff. I had huh. a phone. Wow. <laughs> I was there till they they sold to Transworld, which was Record Town and Tape World, and yeah. uh, eventually they became Fye. Oh, okay. Yeah. They sold their entire company, eight stores, and eight stores worth of inventory. Wow. Um, and they offered me a job in Albany. Yeah. And I was I was twenty years old. I yeah. said no thanks. All right. <laughs> you know, so and so they just they closed up shop and disappeared, and yeah. I got a job somewhere else. But, right. but but when I was working there, that seven years I was with that company, I heard 
every record that was released yeah. between ni- 1982 and 1989. Yeah. Every record. I mean, there could not have been a better education for me in music. I heard everything. Yeah. Classical music. Yeah. Everything. Did this get that you was into... the culture. Yeah, I was going to say, did this get you into other genres of music? It It definitely got me able to appreciate yeah. other genres. Not, yeah. you know, I, I might not have gone out and bought it and celebrated it, but right. um, but I can appreciate any genre of music. Yeah. Um, and just learning to understand those different genres yeah. and how they worked and what made, what made it a separate genre and yeah. just the songwriting differences within across different genres. It was a huge education. Yeah. You've talked before about the, the like bands at one point, everything was sort of just considered metal. Now, you know, a 14 year old kid isn't going to think Led Zeppelin is metal, but you know, we might in 1977 next to black Sabbath, you know, all that stuff was heavy music. And yeah, I mean, everything that I grew up on yeah, was, was considered in, context of the 70s was heavy metal yeah and now in the new millennium it's heavy metal is so much heavier and so much more you know just intense and it's it's morphed into something different right so with the generational turnover i guess they they look back at the blue oyster cults and the the scorpions and say, well, that's not metal. Right. That's not what I was. That's not the same as what I'm hearing today. Right. So, and, and I kind of, I resisted that for a while, but it kind of makes sense to me now that it's hard. There's rock, there's hard rock, there's heavy metal and there's metal. Yeah. But I try not to get too crazy with the subgenre tags. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of keep it. I listen to times. Yeah, I mean, I listen to everything from uh, Cream to um, trying to think of black metal. I mean, yeah, yeah. everything, everything in my mind anyway follows that same historical thread. They're, yeah. they're all connected in my head. They're all right. part of the same tree. Yeah. The different branches of the same tree. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if it. Never mind which genre tag you give it. It doesn't even need one at all. It's right. just, to me, it's all metal. Yeah, yeah. Going back. Uh, people get crazy with the proto yeah, this. I know, yeah, I know. <laughs> Fantasy metal and whatever. Um, Pirate metal. Yeah, I know, that's a that's a thing. Um, going back a little, so the New York, the new wave of British heavy metal, do you remember sort of the first time you, you saw a band that would be considered in, in that genre or that, that world. Yeah, I remember um, when Castle Donington happened. Yeah. There was a little blurb in Circus Magazine Yeah, with, with a picture of Saxon. Yeah. And it was just a news, uh, a little news paragraph about how this, um, the resurgence of heavy metal in Britain had its first festival and, and these bands appeared and the band that stole the show was Saxon, hmm. a completely unheard of band with two records out. And um, I remember that really stuck with me. And 
it looked like another avenue, another window yeah. to try to explore into. Like, if if that band was on the bill with Rainbow, Scorpions, and Judas Priest and Riot, and Circus is saying that they stole the show, right? They must be great. Yeah. And if they if they're part of this new movement, the new wave of British heavy metal, that is definitely something I have to look into. Yeah. And I actually saw that blurb when I was working at the record store. Oh, okay. I saw it at the drugstore next door looking through the circus magazine on my yeah. break or something. Right. So I just dove right into that and I looked up in the gem catalog every reference to New Wave of British Heavy Metal I could yeah. find, the acronym. Um, and I started to, I actually got the Castle Donington album yeah. first. And the Saxon songs on there, they sound like shit, but they you could tell the band just completely rocks. Yeah. Um, and that's right around the same time we started to go to Rocket. I forget who. Crocus was a big one. Um, Accept yeah. was a big one. But somebody found, I don't know how we found it. We might have found it from Tony Berardini. Yeah. On, on his Heavy Metal from Hell show on oh, BCN. Right. Yeah. Because it was show. sponsored by Rocket Records. Yeah. Somebody probably had the great idea, hey, jump in the truck, road trip, let's go to Saugus and check this place out. Yeah. And and that was right around that same time. So the first one I, I had ever heard was definitely Saxon. Yeah. I think the first record that I bought that could be considered New Wave of British Heavy Metal was Killers. Yeah. Okay. By Maiden. Yeah. And what an introduction. Yeah, I know, right? That album was just yeah like, intense. Yeah, I like that one better than the first one. Yeah, some people like the first one better, but I, I think Killers is the the better of those two, definitely. I I think it's the best, maybe the best, that or Power Slave. Yeah, but yeah, because yeah. they had that punk rock aggression yeah. intensity back then. They were just they were in your face and yeah. it was immediate and yeah. and just bang 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 and, and um it kind of lost that early on i think i yeah. think number of the beasts is, is kind of overrated yeah okay but if you follow the new wave of british heavy metal like every stupid record that came out in that whole four three or four year period yeah it kind of went sour pretty quick yeah yeah it was a, a short-lived uh yeah explosion and i think the the best records were the debuts, and then after that, it was like the record companies got a hold of everybody, and <laughs> yeah. they wanted. It was just a feeding frenzy, yeah. And it was over quick. It was there's a lot of great records, but it was over quick. Yeah. Now, were those bands coming to? Uh, did you go see Maiden early on? Yeah, I, I saw um at the Orpheum again. Yeah. Um, Judas Priest on their Point of Entry tour. Oh and, yeah. Uh, Maiden on the Killers tour opened yeah. up. That's crazy. So yeah, that was a that was a show. Yeah, I mean, you had Maiden, Young and Hungry Maiden with Paul Diano. Yeah, and Clive Burr, touring Killers. Yeah, um, very much like Van Halen came out and just yeah. tore everyone's face off. Yeah, I bet. Um, and then Priest, even though Point of Entry is kind of a questionable album, they yeah. came, they were great. Yeah, they were awesome. Yeah. And now this this kind of stuff, this sort of angrier stuff, was this sort of coinciding to with like your home life at this point? Because now you're 
almost through high school at this point and things getting worse at home is this music helping that at all yeah um it, it again it helped me a lot in high school because i found friends that way yeah it helped me it helped me sort of find a new family which was the band yeah, yeah. um and it was kind of a channel to release like a release valve to let all this out um mm-hmm. and that's why i enjoyed the physicality of playing this music was yeah. was kind of cathartic it was kind of a release yeah um, I'm sure you've heard that from a lot of punk bands that just just the act of playing this raw aggressive stuff is just kind of cleansing. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and the next step, definitely after Sabbath, was the new wave of British heavy metal, and then, like I said before, thrash was was it. Thrash yeah. was the next logical step. Yeah. Yeah. In the the uptick in the speed and the aggression and the just the physical work that you had to put into playing uh, yeah. the songs was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So who were some? So of yeah. The, I was gonna say who was some of the early thrash stuff when that when that started happening. Was that through tape trading? Is that how you found some of those bands? Yeah. Yeah. We we were we did our first demo, the Maniac demo. Yeah in early early 86 but um we were involved in the trading culture before that yeah and the and the first i, I guess the first thrash pure thrash record we all heard was kill em all mm-hmm. and it was barry is the one who brought that one home and that was him taking a chance yeah he saw the cover he saw the name and was like well that, they must be cool <laughs> yeah and Rich and I were skeptical first. We heard it a thousand times because Barry played it nonstop in yeah. his boombox. Yeah. And we were skeptical because it was so simple. Right. It was so, um, I don't want to say primitive because it was really technically precise. Yeah. But, but there was a certain kind of primitive mindset yeah. on that record. Kind of one-dimensional even, you right. might say. Yeah. I mean, especially when you compare it to their next two albums. But, right, right. But it took us a while to get into it. And yeah. when we saw we saw them at the Rat with Raven. Okay. And that's when Rich and I got on board. We were like, they were great. Yeah. They were awesome. Right. They just, no bullshit, no pretense, mm-hmm. no act, right. no posing, just balls out, t- like this or fuck off. Yeah. And they delivered it. It was awesome. Yeah. They were really great. And and that didn't mean we didn't like the new wave of British heavy metal anymore, but right. we knew what the next step was going to be. Yeah. And it was Anthrax and Slayer, and a year later was Megadeth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was Metallica. It, yeah. we, we weren't like so. We weren't too underground enough to have heard. Exodus before right, Metallica, right. even though, yeah. you know, we weren't that cool. Right. <laughs> and you almost feel like a camaraderie to, like when I remember when I first saw the, the back cover of, uh, well, the, the first one I saw was, the, the first uh, Metallica record I heard was Ride the Lightning. So when I saw them on the back wearing, I think James or maybe one of them was wearing a Discharge shirt. And, and then, you know, you look at the first record and they look like, 
the burnouts I hung out with in high school. So I was able to connect yeah, to them more than, you know, Rob Halford, as cool as Rob Halford is, that's not someone I would thought I could hang out with, or like Bruce Dickinson or someone. But Metallica seemed like those are dudes I would hang out with and, you know. Yeah, and that was really important to orgasm too, that, you know, you don't have to dress the part. You don't have to try that hard to convince someone that you're a real band. Right, right. You just you just have to go out and you just have to deliver the music like you mean it. Yeah, yeah. That's all you have to do. You don't need to buy the spandex, the striped spandex right. and the wristbands and yeah. all that junk. Yeah. That's not that's not going to convince anybody worth convincing. It's just the music is what's going to convince that that's what would convince me. And yeah, it did yeah. when I saw him at the Rat, I was completely sold. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a huge influence on us. Yeah. And that in that world, thrash. Do you think the same thing with uh, like the other, like the new wave of hip, British heavy metal? Did that have a sort of a short, a short period for you? That, that was sort of like the the wheelhouse of that, of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, I think what what gave that more staying power was the underground bands that kept coming out even yeah. after. Like the big four right. got signed by the by the majors and yeah. they got on MTV and they were the household names and but you still had a a lot of people way down in the underground and a lot of bands that kept coming out and had no interest in being number five in the big five right. you know yeah. they yeah. the the underground had established itself as an underground and it was going to stay underground yeah. And there was still a lot of great music coming out of there. Yeah, that didn't happen with the new wave of British heavy metal. Everybody wanted to break in America, and they all made those compromises and concessions. And yeah. that's where how it collapsed. But yeah. thrash, I think, the big four went through their flirting with the charts and MTV and all that. And yeah, I think I think really they were the short-lived phenomenon. They're, they're the ones who lost the credibility really early. Yeah, yeah. And while if they just had stayed in the underground with all the other truly underground bands, they would have they would have retained their credibility. They may yeah. not have had the 40-year the careers that they right, had, but right. they definitely they would have retained their credibility for sure. Yeah. Um, each one of those bands put out, like, I don't own a Metallica album after Master of Puppets. I yeah. have no interest in any of that yeah. stuff. I, I don't, I have, um, I don't own anything by Megadeth after Rust in Peace. Yeah. I think I have those three Slayer albums. Yeah. The Rick yeah, yeah. Slayer albums. Yeah. And, and I have um, Spreading the Disease. Yeah. That's my favorite. Persistence of Time. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, just, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort I, of the I golden think, era right there. Yeah, I think you can see the pattern once you're our age. Ha yeah. ha. You, you can look down and, and when the, a new, fresh, exciting genre pops up. Yeah. It's cool for a short time. Yeah. When it's real. And yeah. then it becomes a business and the, the majors get involved and they want to exploit it. And they sign a bunch of bands that that they think are gonna 
be as good as the core yeah. of bands, and they're not. Yeah, it gets diluted and, with because it's sixty-three bands doing the same. Yeah, thing. and 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 full disclosure, the guy who signed Orgasm to Profile, he said every record company in the world wants their own Metallica, right? Because they're in the top forty without a single, without a video. Yeah. So that's that's a cheap way to get a band into the top forty. So everybody <laughs> yeah. wants one. Yeah. He goes, that's that's why you guys got signed is because we we wanted our own Metallica. Yeah. Yeah. And that that goes for a, a thousand other bands across the country too. Everybody just oh I want one of those. Yeah. Yeah. They these wanted their these guys are yeah. These guys are wearing black jeans and and high top Reeboks, so they must be <laughs> another Metallica. Let's sign them too. I know it's crazy to so think we, some of the stuff that was on major labels back, back then is is pretty crazy that got signed, you know. Yeah, well, good for them. Yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> and uh, years later, the the thing with like uh, Lars Ulrich and the MP3 trading, you as as an artist who's you know had records that you've recorded and, and sell, but also came from the world of you know, trading music with friends. How, how did you feel when that when that came out? When that whole thing happened, I wasn't not like I, there was no orgasm anymore. Yeah, and we did not have any rights to any of our material. Yeah, so I didn't feel like anyone was stealing from me. Right. I, we actually we used to actually burn CDs and mail them to people who couldn't find the albums right so it didn't it didn't bother us at all yeah and luckily by the time we took control of our catalog and was it were able to re-release everything that had kind of died down and and the the metal market for the people who buy cds now yeah are, are they're really kind of a niche market they're yeah. collectors yeah yeah they don't they're not they're not sufficient it's not sufficient for them to have the MP3. Yeah, they want the CD. Yeah, I'm like that. And you can, yeah, it's, so it's a, it's a good market right now for for people like for you know that still buy CDs. You know. Yeah, yeah, and luckily, <laughs> when we had no control over our music, that's when that whole Metallica Napster thing went down, and yeah. you couldn't put anything online without it being pirated in five seconds and right, right. given away for free yeah we we kind of missed that which was a good thing because yeah. now yeah. we have we have everything up on Bandcamp, and we have everything available in physical media and yeah. you know we're not making a ton of money but it's there yeah. if people want it yeah and we're we're in control of it which is great yeah after not being in control of it for 25 years yeah. so yeah uh, it's all good. I, I, I don't. I still, occasionally. I, I don't want to. Probably shouldn't advertise this, but I I still uh, get correspondence from people who can't find the stuff. Yeah. Or or can't afford the stuff. Yeah. And because we own it and we control it, yeah. we can decide if we give it away for free or not. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes it, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And nobody loses. Yeah. So, um, I don't, you know, whatever happens, 
we're happy that we can do what we want with it. Yeah, yeah. And After all these years. Yeah, of and, course. And the fact that people want to listen to your band, that's going to be a, a, a great feeling coming from, you know, these, these two guys you've, you've known since high school that sort of took this musical journey throughout all these years and now people are celebrating your music still in, in 2021. So that, that's going to be a great feeling. It, it is amazing that, that something that you created that long ago is still resonates with people. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Stuff on the Maniac demo ended up being uh, orgasm songs, right? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Not all of it, but right, most right. of it. Yeah. And as, as someone who's done, you know, you do a lot of collecting, as you said, and uh, so the, the the job you've done on the reissues, I think, is really cool. And I think I always thought because of your you being like a, a, a diehard music fan, that sort of informed, you know, how nice of a job you've done on the uh, the reissues. So it's, it's pretty oh, cool. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. That's nice to hear. And it, and it definitely comes from, now that we're in control of it, yeah, we can make it as good as we want it to be. Yeah, exactly. It's not just a blank, and, uh, right? And, and I remember. So when we got the, so we're all working at Good Vibrations. Yeah. And Rich and Barry worked in the warehouse. Yeah. And we were all in the building the day that the profile album came in to the warehouse. Yeah. And everybody gathered around to open up the box and we all, you know, we're all passing the records around and the CDs came in and the long boxes and the cassettes came in. Yeah. And that was the first time we'd ever seen the actual copies of the record. Yeah. And I remember opening up the cassette and the card, the insert in the cassette was on the inside of it was completely black. <laughs> yeah. So the album covers on the front, yeah. the back album cover pictures in there, and the yeah. credits produced by, written by, and that's it. The <laughs> yeah. inside of it, the, the opposite side was complete, like four panels of black ink. Huh. And, and, you know, we couldn't do anything about that. Yeah, yeah. But 30 years later, when when we put our own version of it out, yeah. you can bet I'm going to take all the time and all put all the effort necessary into correcting that mistake yeah, yeah, of and course. making it the best possible release that I can do. Yeah. So nobody even remembers the original one. Right. This is the definitive one. Yeah. You know, collectors buy and sell those original profile versions on eBay and, and discogs and stuff for yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. But, and that's cool. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. But, you know, packaging wise, yeah. presentation wise, it's garbage. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I still have my, uh, the same copy of why play around that I, that I, that I bought probably in whenever it came out. Uh, I have the Gazimit tape and I, have, I think I almost, uh, I have almost everything, but that's the only of the, the demos that you guys have put out. It's the only tape I have. But um, cool. what was it like when you when you so when you guys first opened that? That must have been pretty cool though to have, you know, this thing on profile records. Yeah, it was yeah. cool. Um, yeah. Even cooler though, it, it, in a weird way, the very first time I felt like we were 
a real band that was doing real band things is when we got our first t-shirts made. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was long before the album came out. Yeah. It was long before we were signed. It was yeah. just scrape up enough money. Right. And, and, and try to do a shirt. Yeah. And just pulling that out of the box was in, in its own way. It was more exciting than yeah. pulling the record okay. out of the box. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and as far like so nowadays it's funny we were talking about you know working jobs when we were teenagers and you'd save up for like you know two weeks to buy one album you know I remember saving up money to buy an album but I also needed commuter rail money to get from Swampscott to Newbury Comics in Boston and uh, mm -hmm. you know spend my $33 paycheck I got from the bag and groceries but that's sort of a lost art now in just the um, how kids and people listen to music today. So it's it's kind of sad to to uh, to see that happen. Do you do you think that's coming back at all with with kids? I don't know. Yeah. I I, yeah. I think the kids that buy vinyl yeah are, are they're sort of in that same yeah same mindset of this is this is cool yeah this this is um. But I think it, there are layers of irony involved yeah. in that because yeah. they're thinking, "Well, this is what my parents used to do." Right. I know. This is this is so cool. Yeah. Um, and they're right. We we used to, but we didn't do it because it was cool. We didn't have any other yeah. options. Yeah, we just exactly. did it. Because that's all we had. Yeah. So that kind of spoiled the amount of options they have. Yeah. And now you know I should talk. I mean. 99% of the music that I buy, yeah. I buy online. Yeah, yeah, same. I, I, you know, I either through eBay, Discogs, or Amazon, yeah. or um, other online outlets. Yeah. I don't buy anything digital. I think buying digital is <sighs> yeah, it's weird, still right? it's like yeah. some kind of hocus pocus that's selling me something that doesn't exist. I have a little but, bag of those uh, download codes that I get whenever I buy albums. They, they come in. A lot of albums that I never, I never even. I, I use Spotify to listen to music in my, you know, at work and that kind of thing. But I, I'm buying music all the time, almost too much lately. You know. Yeah, I think the best, the best model is Bandcamp. Yeah. Because yeah, you can listen to it for free. Yeah, yeah. Or, you can support the band. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't even have to buy physical media from them you can listen to it and send them five bucks yeah, say that yeah, was great here you yeah, go definitely. that's awesome yeah and, and it's it's not mandatory it's it's an option yeah 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 i think this is i the... listen to spotify to like if i want to check something out yeah yeah i'll check it out there and then if i feel that it's worthy of buying i'll buy it yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and the, those download codes it's funny that you mentioned those download codes because I, my family got me for Christmas. I still don't know how they did it, and they won't tell me. <laughs> they got me. The record record store days for the last two years have had Cheap Trick double live albums. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of them is from, like, the holy grail of all Cheap Trick collectors is the whiskey shows they did in 1977. They did five shows. Okay. And they they were all recorded um, by CBS. Yeah. But never released. And, and a couple of tracks have come out here and there on comps yeah. maybe maybe four or five of them 
but last year's record store day was an entire two record set live from the whiskey. Oh, nice. And it's remixed from the original tapes. It's, yeah. it's just completely killer. And I don't have a turntable right now in my life. Yeah. But the download codes came with it and I downloaded it and I burned it onto a CD. Yeah. So yeah, I have the vinyl and it <laughs> looks cool. Yeah. But I can listen to it on a CD, and I keep right. the CD with all my other cheap trick CDs. So yeah. nice. one way or another, we'll get there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think that that's one of the reasons I, I I like doing this podcast is you know hearing I think documenting the journey of uh, of people and how how they got into music and how what it affected in their life throughout throughout life. Uh, so I'm glad you wanted to do this again and, and get more into that stuff. Since been this has been cool. Yeah, I, I always enjoy talking to you. Really fantastic. Thanks. And I love the podcast. I really like to listen to, you know, uh, what's behind the music that someone made. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many people that I that I know personally yeah. that have been on your podcast, and it's it's always really super enlightening, even if I've known these people all my life, just yeah. to hear yeah. them talk about um what has motivated them as musicians. And yeah, same here. It's awesome. I know. I was almost thinking of making a spreadsheet and putting uh, putting all the guests and see how many got into music because of Kiss and then how many got into it because of skateboarding. It seems like that's sort of the ongoing theme, like the the more sore metal-leaning people all started with Kiss and the punk people all kind of started with skateboarding. It seems like it's almost straight down the line like that. It's kind of funny. So. Yeah. Awesome, Bob. Well, thank you again. We should definitely do this again, I think. I'd love to. I yeah. love talking music with you. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks again, and I will. I will talk to you soon. All right. All right. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.